Yeah, my, my last point there is I, I trust the history of what my developers did more than the history of what they think they did. And merge is what happened. Rebase is what they think happened and what they want to pretend happened. If you're exclusively working with developers whose imagination is better than their commits, rebase away. But I want to make sure that our history is true. So, merge is the true history. So I think this is where this is this bleeds right into the next topic, which is I don't believe my imagination plays a single role because I am an aggressive unit tester. And I have all my code unit tested and perfectly working. So when I make a refactor, I'm confident in this moment that I have not changed anything or the behavior without having to go through integration. Now, we may be using the term integration or end-to-end -end test uh, slightly different, right? People tend to use these phrases in all sorts of ways. I don't think I've ever heard someone use the term functional test in the correct way ever. It's, I, I don't think anyone has any idea what that actually means. Uh, but all right, so this, this might be part of the problem which is you don't think unit tests should be done. In fact, I believe you said something along the lines of someone being a delusional if they do unit tests. Probably not that intense, but it was pretty intense. No, I, I said I was vehemently anti-unit tests. Oh, you kept going. I believe you even tossed some yeah. shade my way okay, at one point. Did. You probably even yeah. said Made like my hair TikTok, wasn't though, as good as yours you. or something like that. The TikTok came out great though. Thank you for that. It's one of the best ones I've done so far. Don't don't compliment this TikTok. This is not the time for TikTok. It's it's your TikTok to be fair. I just stole your content. Oh, that's great. Good. I didn't oh. even put my message in there. It oh, was really? Just you. But oh. yeah, it was wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Oh yeah, I got linked yeah. that. That was fantastic. I'm always fine. I'm always fine being a victim, a collateral victim of TikTok damage. I'll I'll accept it. In fact, you know, I, sure I was the only victim there. You call me an ignorant slut. I'm not saying it's inaccurate. I'm just saying that I'm the victim. I know you were you were the victim in the moment. Okay, but uh, you know what? A deserved one. That was the nicest thing someone has posted about me in a while. Right? Usually, when people take something, it is in a negative fashion. I felt like at least there was some love there. Maybe some some anger. Yeah, I, but I, mostly love. There is. My community has a lot of love for you. I was surprised because I've definitely seen you catch some heat, but I think we're on like the same wavelength in a lot of ways there yeah. where it's like, we're not, we're, we're not here to make people happy. We're here to talk about how shit gets done yeah. and it gets spicy if it has to. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So, As for the unit tests though, unit I, tests. I, I want, again, I'm going to preface this with something. Oh, wait, can, I we, think can we do, can, can I do one quick thing? Sorry. I, sorry that I just yes. interrupted you right there. I'm going to do a quick poll in chat that says, who likes unit tests? Or uh, do you think unit tests are good? Yes and no. So answer truthfully, because afterwards, I would like to see the outcome to this if anybody was swayed. Obviously, this is a, a biased test in the sense that new people are going to join towards the end. They'll vote on it like, oh, yeah, of course they're great. Right. And so we won't get accurate results, but it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, if you've changed people's minds, if things have, if things have changed. So go that on, is the goal. start, start cool. your unit test testes. So the issue, I, I have a handful of issues with unit tests, but I want to give like one important addendum at the beginning here, which is a lot of my stance here is trying to be the opposite extreme from what I consider the problem, which is the, everything should be unit test people. I think that no unit tests is significantly better than 100% code coverage in the okay. sense that okay. where I am, the wrong extreme you might believe I am at prevents my engineers from being hampered by bullshit. And I am always looking for bullshit to trim. I want my engineers working on things and I want the teams I'm in working on things that make them more productive 
effective and confident as they solve problems for our users. And where most of the code I see shipping goes, unit tests are slowing them down more than helping. And they're often reached for due to other problems. My concern is there are tests being written to create contracts and expectations where the code's architecture itself should be enforcing them. Okay. So I think we do fall on the same page that I think we both would universally agree that 100% coverage is just terrible, right? It's easy to have a bug and have 100% coverage. Just do a list and access a list and have the second thing be undefined, right? You can just, bam, you know, hit an undefined, right? Very, very easy. And number two... I have... No, no, go on. You, you, you know, okay, so I want to go off on this one for a little bit because yeah. I totally agree. Like the undefined in a list problem is so real and we hit it in production and it turns out, and this is really fun learning, there's actually a TypeScript rule for accessing an index and not checking if it's defined or not because when you're grabbing from an array, you can't know yet. Yep. And we turned that on. We found like three other places that that bug could have happened in the code base as a result. And once again, my stance of good tools are better than okay tests was proven out because we could have written a hundred unit tests and not caught that, but we turned on one TypeScript rule and caught three. Okay. So I do, I do, I do think that good tools help prevent a class of bugs or something along those lines. So I, I'm going to agree with you on that one, but okay tests. I mean, it sounds like you have poor test writers. So we'll just, we'll ignore that for a second. Uh, the second thing is that I think we both agree. So I'm, I try to find the common ground before we get on the argument here is that we both agree that TDD defining the test first and then building your architecture around the test is the devil's tool and should be thrown away immediately. I personally will never define my architecture based on how I'm going to write my tests. I usually do it a little bit, you know, the other way around. Uh, are you, you must not be on the TDD. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big UDD fan, user-driven development. We do things because our users need them and tests are not the best way to define those things. Like, the problems we're solving exist much more in user land than they do in like, if I was a backend developer building long running systems and I need to make sure things were staying super stable and never leaking, probably be a little cooler with test driven development and unit tests, but building product for users, TDD pulls you far enough away from the user that you lose track of what you're building pretty regularly. And that's been the experience with every TDD team building user-first software that I've ever worked in. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you might be drawing like a, some sort of like false dichotomy here that somehow UDD is opposed. Well, TDD, let's just put that in the trash, okay? Nobody likes TDD. We all agree that TDD sucks. But tests incorporated along with writing code somehow takes you away from the user. So good example. I'll, I'll throw out an example here. Uh, one of my jobs was uh, we had an iPad in which we were one of the first people to kind of do like a Google Docs-like presentation where you could view, you know, a document on several different platforms, including one that's written in the old uh, ActionScript way back in the day and also in HTML5 when HTML5 was hot and or HTML4 maybe it was at that point. I can't even remember what it was at. But either way, we did this. And if you touched the iPad and drug your finger dragged, drugged, drugged, your finger across it, you would highlight some text. And that text would be in the exact same pixel position as it would be in ActionScript on, say, a computer or using the app versus on the iPad. And you could make comments and all that. Now, touching the screen obviously involves a couple points coming in, which then takes this huge block of text. And now we have to find exactly the point translation to text position. Now, I could have just whipped out that feature in a day, 
but instead I took two, three days and made a very comprehensive set of tests. And that feature still actually is running untouched and used by a lot of people. And no one's had to touch or change that code. And it's been a decade simply because it is well thought through and well tested. So everyone knows the exact ins and outs of the whole nine yards. So is UDD so against that? So it's actually never been changed or when it, or was it never changed or easy to fix when things broke? Because those are different. It was both easy to fix because there was a couple bugs because I had a very comprehensive set of tests. So they knew where the bug was and how to fix that, right? And second, uh, in a sense, having a set of kind of tests, especially when it comes to complicated data structures and how you use them, uh, you have to uh, need a way to kind of like describe that to the developer. I'm not convinced writing a description of how to search through a document is the best versus an example that actually is a test, right? To me, that is a much better developer experience in my personal book to actually see the thing get used, exactly how to pinpoint it and understand it. And so I both lean on tests as a way to pr prove correctness and as a way for someone to get effectively tech documentation for free. Yeah, I use TypeScript for the latter and I use documents plus Explain things the like loom to do quick recordings uh, typescript definitions give you 90 percent plus of what you need when you're consuming something like you can hover over you see what it takes and then it tells you what it returns as long as they're named okay and i would say like the big thing we lean on hardest is code reviews and like pushing for us to be like raising the bar constantly i obviously cannot say that that scales forever but if you build a culture around it it keeps you from running into a lot of the problems that like unit tests solve in those ways. I I don't like unit tests as a demonstration of how code works and should be used because more often than not, unit tests are breaking those assumptions with the weird ways they mock shit. And that's the problem with unit tests is to test an individual unit, you're definitely mocking something and you're probably mocking it poorly because every mock I've ever seen was bad, every single Okay, one. so that might be how you're, you might be running into people writing it poorly. So I do have a rule when writing tests, which is anything that interacts with the environment is usually behind an interface. So there is no mocking for me. I actually provide an object in which abstracts it out, right? So it's just simple calls in and out. Whereas I don't actually have to worry about a lot of the mocking type, at least any sort of like uh, dependency injection style ones, which I find to be where all the confusion happens when you have these weird jest import mocks and you're taking all the imports and you're rewriting the imports and then you're hoping it goes all the way through. I find that to be where a lot of the confusion is versus like, hey, when I'm gonna do some sort of like, say I'm setting the audio render rate, on a television, I'm gonna have this as part of the config. And that way I can provide the render rate to my player and not actually have it query some sort of outside item. And so kind of inverting the control, if you will. I think they have a name for that specifically. Yeah, the amount of thought that has to go into these things and developing these patterns and onboarding people to use them properly and maintaining them and then realizing they're bad and gutting them and figuring out which tests actually bring value and not. And it becomes a whole, additional thing to maintain that is relatively big i actually keep a list i don't think i have it here uh so i guess the invert of this uh, would be integration right i mean integration tests themselves are extremely complicated to set up they yep. break all the time data is unreliable you have to do this whole data mocking layer which is always out of date it's like never in date i've never seen someone data mock successful ever we've done it a lot of times at netflix it is just one of the worst things services are going down you have to have an entire staging environment and then the staging environment has to be scaled because if your tests all run at once or a bunch of developers commit at once you have horizontal scaling issues you're doing you're solving production in not production at all points so i'm not convinced that the other way is even remotely easier in any sense and creating tests that often especially with webrtc you're in webrtc world 
like how do you do a uh, sequence out of order in RTP? You know, how do you do uh, Ford error correction? Uh, Read Solomon. How do you take care of all these really complicated things if you were to own it without something that more defines or controls the network and puts it in in a very systematic way? I wouldn't. I would outsource to somebody who does. And I'm almost positive everybody will ever outsource our WebRTC info to, or if we start hiring and have people doing that ourselves, they will probably be much more pro unit tests than me. And they will probably ignore my stance here and go and do those things. I think that unit tests are reached to way too often for software that the majority of is not things that have sequence out of or order errors. They have the items in my cart aren't going into the order errors. The vast majority of the web is e-commerce and mostly static sites. The vast majority of servers are just hosting WordPress and Postgres. The vast majority of the things that we do are slowed down by unit tests. And that's why I take the extreme stance I do. I think you need a good reason to have unit tests rather than a good reason to not. And I think you're describing things that are good reasons to have unit tests. I think that your job and your role, that makes sense a lot of the time. I think the majority of people, even in your chat here, are probably writing too many unit tests at their job. Mm. So how do you know? So so we're, we'll go we'll go with your your theory here. How do you know when you've written too many unit tests? If you say none, we're fist fighting. I I really don't think this is it, because uh, because I, never... I almost feel like it's harder yours than mine. Mine is just simply. I'm going to think of a few edge conditions that I know will exist. Say I have a bunch of items that could be added in various orders and put into a cart. I expect if I handed this list, it just produces me the list in the same order, right? That's a pretty happy case. Very simple. If someone decides I want to add a new filtering mechanism, it's going to break. And they go, oh, crap, we broke the default user experience. Either I have to change the test or make mine right as some sort of option, right? It's like a catch because they don't know the history. So how would you, how yeah. would you know when that's too much? That already sounds like too much to me. Like you have a list, you use the list, the list is the same. I don't, I wouldn't test that. I, I trust React to do, I, I, this is the thing I see the most of it. I, I saw a ton of it at Twitch. Basically testing, if you pass a component props, it gets the props. Well, yeah, that's React test. works. What? Yeah, no, no, I agree that that is not a very good problem. But I'm just saying like specific, you know, cause there's always filtering and all that. Like yeah. say you want to do something smart, some sort of logic on top of it to make this list into something else. At some point, how do you know somebody's not breaking that? Because it may not show up in user metrics, right? It, it doesn't always, just because you make something doesn't mean people quit using the product. They'll find a way around it. You'll often see this where people just do the just dumbest things. And you're like, why are you doing that? And they're like, well, actually, it's quit working. And then and this is how we solve it. And you're like, oh, yep. you just worked around it. I, and I it think this is where, like, for us, user obsession is super important. We are constantly hopping into users' rooms, seeing how they use the product, see what's going right and wrong. And we've already had times where feedback didn't get to us here that we had to like find ourselves by digging in really hard. And I, I, I have, we've had one bug so far total since we started shipping in August that a unit test reasonably could have caught and the amount of inertia we would have had to just eat to start in integrating tests into our workflows like our time to like our time to response for a production issue that a user reports to us is under seven minutes for a production fix from when it's reported and i'm aiming to get that lower right now i want us on top of our shit and unit tests don't help there my general philosophy is build safety nets not guardrails and test unit tests are the most guardraily of like it feels like bumpers being put on like bowling alleys except half the time you hit them 
they're just blocking you from doing the thing you intend to do. And then you have to remove the bumper yourself. And now you don't trust bumpers at all anymore. And the experience, especially for newer devs, sucks. I want to build the best safety nets possible. So when things do go wrong, we can revert the thing that caused it to go wrong quick. And we can address the problem as fast as possible. And if we cause another problem in doing that, we can address that as well. Obviously, as systems get bigger, this gets harder. But I have seen time and time again, especially at companies like Twitch, that you can do this if you put your time and energy into the right places. You can build in a way that is focused on fixing problems when they come up rather than guiding people to solutions and sol solving problems with guardrails that you don't know about yet. I don't trust my developers to guess the edge cases better than I trust my users to run into them. Okay, so then I, I do, so how do you test, right? So how do you have confidence that when someone makes a change, it doesn't blow up? So, you know, obviously there's the integration, there's literal manual QA. What, what is your, what, and if you do integration, what's your integration story look like? We don't, we open up the pre, or PR build and hop in a call if it's something that touches any of the scary parts. The vast majority of the code we're shipping nowadays is CSS changes and feature flags being turned like on and off and moved from place to place. We, like, here's a fun example of a production issue we had. We added, this one just happened uh, yesterday, actually. I'm sure you might've noticed in ping right now, I'm flashing. And yesterday when we talked, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. We had added a network test in the preview before you joined the call that instantiated the WebRTC client and then killed it and instantiated a new one when you joined the call. That broke the signaling process that passes us the volume indication levels. There is literally no way in hell we could have tested that yep. because it was an external SDK with a memory error inside of it that when killed and reinstantiated breaks this one pipe inside of it. And those are the things that we tend to run into in production. Those are the bugs we have. And being able to get bisect, find the last time it worked, quickly comment out that hook and have everything working in production, it's pretty good. So then I guess the follow-up question was, you don't you don't do any integration testing. Would have an integration test simply caught this? Like a puppeteer. No, that, a puppeteer would not have been able to start two streams and make no, something No, a puppeteer happen. would not, at least not trivially, be able to spin up an audio and video device and then send down arbitrary audio and detect that the levels are being picked up on the other side. That would yeah. be... I, I would have lost two of my engineers for three months trying to do that, but we fixed Best it in five minutes instead. And that's just not a worthwhile trade. And I would be hard to convince that there's a scale where that makes sense other than you are selling these services to other companies. I don't believe the amount of effort it would take to properly mock and rebuild those things would be worthwhile almost ever when we could build our own SDK for our WebRTC stuff instead. When we run into problems like that, where it feels like a test would bring value, fixing the thing that makes us so uncomfortable we want to test is better every single time. But how do you know you even got it right besides for just manual testing? It sounds like you're, you're manual you're, testing. So you you instead of so if you had to fix one place a hundred times, you would have to manually test that one place one hundred times. Yeah, and I probably tested our call logic over a hundred times at this point. Would that not slow you down in the greater end? I mean, I, I get no. that some parts are just you can't you can't mock out right. Like I do understand that some things are just they're just too hard. And yeah. WebRTC, I can kind of buy that. Obviously, code. there's G streamer and some things. Right. Well, yeah, how do you know that? you get it right when you rewrite it? Like, how do you know any part of the things you do that you haven't introduced small bugs that aren't causing customer friction? Which ultimately, like personally, uh, every time I've inter used a product that has a series of small bugs over and over again, 
I find that more frustrating than a place that has one big bug every now and then. Right? Like, small things drive me way more nuts when I just use it. I'm like, crap, this thing's broken. Oh, okay, today this thing's broken. Like, how do you prevent that as your team grows to, say, 20, 50, 100 engineers? By overhauling the places that are, like, fertile ground for those small problems. I don't believe those small problems occur because the tests aren't good enough. I believe those small problems occur because the structure and the place that they are occurring in is fragile or not, like, clear enough to work in. Can unit tests be a tool that guides people down the right paths in those like fucked up grounds? Sure. I would rather every single time dig it up and rebuild it because it takes about the same, if not less effort a lot of the time. It's a better experience for the developers. It's a huge way, especially as a, like a leader when I, I'm running teams for somebody to say, hey, this thing broke. Should we add a bunch of tests to say no? Or we can, or if you think this is fragile enough that we need something more, right out of spec, we can overhaul this. So I think it's time. In fact, my CTO is doing that right now for our call logic because it is too fragile and nigh impossible to test. So we're building a new state machine with X state. It's going to be way more complex. We're going to have like charts, diagrams, and all that shit, and probably maybe introduce some tests for it. But that's a very, very specific thing that is business critical that we think we have ironed down enough to start testing. But if we had started testing before getting here, it would have slowed down the process in which we got here in the first place. And I guess my hot take is letting the developers and I guess down the line, some of the users feel a bit of pain to build more trust with your team is huge. And doing that for the team and giving them the trust to own and replace fragile things is almost always worth it. Okay, so 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 somebody I see somebody in chat say or uh, asking like how big of like teams and companies I've been on. I, yeah, my current company I have a six person team. Okay, I, so I, I was the, right on that. One. Okay, yeah, but I helped a lot at Twitch on like the team that ran the core website, which had over like four hundred plus contributors. I've run and helped lead teams with like fifty plus engineers, and that's where a lot of my philosophy came from. It's how do we get to that point as fast as possible without stepping on too many toes and breaking too much shit. And I, I've seen teams scale from two to 200 many times now. I think I know how to do this right. And the way to do it right is to do it wrong, but fast for long enough to get there in the first place. So I, I definitely don't disagree with that, that I, I, am, I am fully in the camp that you always should build something once to throw it away, right? Like it just, it just simply almost universally works better that the first one you build, you throw away. And I can even buy the fact that you say, hey, I'm not even going to unit test uh, this first one because I'm just building it to really understand the problem. Because, you know, the people that go on the whiteboard and spend a week purely whiteboarding a problem and all the right boxes and arrows and all those things, I have never actually had that work out in, in real life because real life does not look like boxes and arrows. It's just completely f up and it's always wrong. And so I have just never had it work correct. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the build it twice kind of thing. And so it kind of sounds like you're, you're, you almost are mimicking it in a different kind of fashion that, okay, we're going to rebuild it. But I do worry that you're almost no true Scotsmaning this one, meaning that every time something is problematic, you're like, well, it wasn't quite where it should have been, right? Like, won't that always be all code at all time? It's always yeah. never quite and we should where always it should be, be leveling it up. I feel like tests discourage you from taking level up opportunities. You, they are patch jobs where you should be overhauling. Why do they prevent you? Because if you're going to rewrite it, you could either A, you're rewriting the interfaces or B, you're writing the insides, right? So if you're rewriting the inner side, inner, interfaces, it's like uh, everything's gone anyways. And so then the test would be there and be like, oh, 
why did this happen? Oh, look, this thing actually gets called twice for this really weird reason, or this happens twice for some really weird reason. I should remember that the next time, right? You do lose some oddity knowledge without it in the unit test. So whenever I rewrite and burn down the whole city, I look at the unit tests as like an example of all the things I need to remember. But if I'm rewriting just simply the insides, the unit tests just make me go, okay, I still have everything correct. I have not changed it fundamentally. I've only changed how it works on the inside. You know what? I'll take a light L on this one. This is something that I have not been good about in the parts of the code base that you could argue need unit tests. I should have done a better job of documenting the weird behaviors there so that my, when my poor CTO goes halfway through rewriting it, it's clear and he has to ask me less questions. Mm -hmm. But generally, I, I have relied on communication as the solution there where I'm the one who built this V0, this like broken first version. Mm -hmm. And I trust my team and our engineering culture to get us there and to get us over those gaps. And I'm focused way more on that part than I am any technical path there. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I will also be glad to take the light L of that. I do think favoring your first time through is a very good thing rather than being so focused on tests. Make sure you have the right behavior, the right things. I do think that that does make it a bit easier to move a bit faster. But I think where we come into contention is once I think I know what I want, I tend to do the refactor there in place and then throw in the test to make sure that I never forget the things that I shall never forget, such as my comments on Node, uh, Node's GitHub. And so it's just like I, I always put those things around for me to just, I, I forget. And uh, the funny thing is what you're describing is Netflix in a nutshell or old Netflix, shall I say. Old Netflix was exactly this. Um, you actually probably would have loved working on Netflix five, six, seven, eight years ago. It was a pure, it's a, it, tribal knowledge is what you're describing, right? Where people all know the areas. Really, it's just really up to each individual to make sure that that area is good. And we had virtually no unit tests, no anything. And it did scale for actually quite some time. We made it for about, uh, from zero customers to about 100 million customers. But there just came a point where all of a sudden, all these decisions start gaining enough momentum that it no longer worked. And so when we burnt down the ship, we replaced it with a bunch of unit tests and we've actually, you know, life has been a significantly different. Now, there are some really shitty interfaces, right? Or really shitty unit tests where they, you know, does this thing construct? You're like, yes, new always has been new for like all of eternity. If that does not work, then your language is broken. Like the thing itself is broken and it will never work. Don't do that. <laughs> and so I, I mean, I, I, get, I get where you're going with it. I just am not convinced it works uh, forever. It works small and fast. It does not work when you start getting out of small and fast. Yeah, it, it works until it doesn't. And I guess my hot take is you'll know when it doesn't. And people are pretending they need these things way before they do. I think you need to get to that 100 millionth user before hiring a primogen to go build this new structure that's test first, check everything always. Like there is a future, like if I do everything right at ping, in five years, all of my stances here are going to be wrong, and I have to hire you to fix the mistakes I've made. Like that, that is my ideal situation here is I, by doing things this way and breaking shit and moving as fast as possible, I can survive long enough to get to that hundred millionth customer and then have enough money and revenue to pay you to go fix that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think almost anybody in chat here is at that point. And to go back to your earlier thing of like building the first version, then the second. I think what you're describing here is the first and second version of the company's structure for building to an extent. And people over-optimize to make the first one last forever 
rather than make the first one last at all and be as productive as possible so you can get to that second step. And to go even further back to when you use this to describe like building the first version, of the second version of tech, I think a lot of people are still in that first version and don't realize it. And they're foot gunning themselves because they're shipping the V0 somebody hacked together. And unit tests are part of the nails holding that down. If it wasn't tested and was quick, it's a lot easier to rip up than if it was tested and was quick. Not because you have to read, like delete the interfaces or rewrite or it's any different in that way. But yeah, the the role of unit tests does give an amount of inertia, an amount of like weight that can hold down bad code and mislead people into maintaining bad code that probably should have been deleted. I'm almost like Why? consciously Why? Isn't that letting like a bad... certain code be bad. Isn't that I'm just sorry? bad engineers at that point? Why would you let a unit test hold you down? Because you're a new dev. And I don't think new devs are bad devs. I think new devs need to be able to make mistakes and also make changes quickly. And that's a process that involves like mentorship and communication much more so than unit tests. Unit tests are another scary thing that I don't think bring value very often. I think that type to go another like whole step back, I think the era of TypeScript has changed where unit tests are necessary and bring value. Types yeah. and type systems can define a lot of the things I used to use unit tests for. Like given this function, this thing, does it return this thing? And I would use a unit test almost as a way to enable refactoring ability. I guess that gave I that to that. me in a much better fashion. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the, the web's lack of types have always been a historic tragedy, right? I mean, they I think anyone that's used non-type for a while to a type, it is definitely a tragedy. Just realizing how much pain you went through before you're like, oh, look, types are really great. Yeah, I know they were really great. I know at one point computers just needed types because they didn't have the memory or the speed to have an interpreter. But then that left, and then you're like, oh yeah, it's perfectly fine. But I do want to, I do want to touch on something with Netflix. People, I, I saw, I get roasted in the chat about like, oh, now we have 100 million users. Now we test. Well, you got to remember that Netflix hired only the most senior engineers at that point, and so we had arguably, you know, one of the bad, most badass teams ever put together, uh, doing television, and we made it far enough to the point where Netflix didn't ship a feature for over a year and a half because of all the decisions we made. Right, like that, it was really bad. Like there, there, I mean, heads rolled, things were not good. Like it was a, but it took enough inertia until we got to that point. Because the problem is what you're saying is like, oh, just rip it out. There eventually comes a time rip out problem, right? Which is you can only rip out so much code and some code infects others at a very fast and vicious rate. Like RxJS, someone puts in one observable, the next thing you know, half your code base is emitting observables. And you're like, how the hell do I refactor this thing out? Right, like it's impossible. Yeah. You can no longer pull it out. Without like one I have of the... such a good use case for RxJS at ping right now for like tracking the state of the call against a WebRTC client. And I am so scared to even consider it because it will infect our code base and ruin everything around us. And I just I, I will I will make an async state into a synchronous state machine by brute fucking force if it's what I have to do to keep observables in like bad fashion away. I think SolidJS is a cool contender for like doing observables mm -hmm. right in user interface libraries. RxJS exists because the primitive doesn't exist in the browser and that's not a good primitive to diy yeah i don't i don't think well i even if it did exist in the browser i don't know if it's a good idea still right like i'm still not buying it that just because something exists doesn't doesn't make it a good idea plenty of people went back and go ah oh, this thing sucked why did we do that right channels fantastic well i think channels are a much better version of what people are trying to get out of rxjs
And so, uh, but either way, yeah, go, agree with that. going back to this, um, and so I've seen this at Netflix, right? I've seen it a lot of times where all of a sudden your, your resources for change become constrained under the weight of feature velocity. And at some point, you, bad ideas spread. In fact, for whatever reason, they feel like they spread faster than good ideas. I don't know how that works. I don't know why that works. And maybe God, when he cursed the ground, he also cursed code. I don't exactly know how it happened, but it just never quite works the way you want it to. And so I find that, like, bad things just keep on happening. And then all of a sudden, it's just like this myriad of bugs that are just super hard to track down. And it doesn't show itself right away. But every year, you find yourself having a few more production bugs. Okay, this year we're up 50%. This year we're up 50%. This year we're up 50%. All of a sudden you're like, wow, we're 5x from where we were. Even though if you 50% a bunch of times, you will not get 5x. Wait, somebody just coughed elixir. Wet slugs, please elaborate. No, you uh, don't need the, you do not need the, no? their name is probably no. Ryan we don't. as the only person who uses elixir. I don't even believe in it. It's a fake language. Hey, I shipped elixir for a year at Twitch. It was great. It doesn't even have tights. It does, <laughs> simply, it has two plus signs for concatenate. Language is crazy. Okay. Don't trust it, it one is. bit. It's fun. I, I had so much fun with Elixir. I would never recommend anybody ship it at this point, but man, it was so fun. And we okay. got a lot done with it. I, okay, I want to actually I, hear I more about this. I because I used a lowercase p. You broke production because you used a lowercase p. Go, go, please yep. go on that. Go, go on. Because I have some yeah, fun uh, production. Power words. Rangers is spelled with an uppercase p for the class that was defined for it. Or uh, it was not class. It was uh, for whatever our bucket was for it. And the type definitions because they don't exist didn't catch that in a pattern match and uh yeah everything broke live wow. there was some other very fun production errors there though that was the closest what thing to one that like a unit test could have caught my favorite though was that in the power rangers episodes that we got to air almost all of them had the audio on channels one and two we were pretty confident all of them did like left <laughs> is one right is two even though there was nine channels <laughs> one episode like episode five i think had channels one and two were just sound effects. So we aired a whole episode of Power Rangers with just the sound effects. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Just, uh, just the whole time, that's it? That's actually yeah, pretty it funny. it was phenomenal. We aired the whole thing too. We didn't cut it because we didn't have a way to yet. We had just built the code base like three days before. So like it, we let the whole episode air. There's like a fight in like a popcorn bag because they like got like shrunk to like mini versions and they had like a fight. Eh, God, it was so the funniest thing ever. The clips are still around Twitch randomly. So I'd say that we both agree on this point that Elixir is not a good choice. So I'm, I am happy about that. Um, so I'm going to throw something out there and it's going to be super contentious for you. You know, your little state problem that you're having. So, oh, you know, I, I hope that you are prepared for this, but I do believe that often when you have super problematic, uh, problematic async state containers, one of the best and most wholesome way to solve them would be a delicious class. Put it in a nice state container, have all the callbacks contained, and then it just only emits the things it needs to emit. So you create like an observable light, if you will, on a very small, thin layer. Now, I know you hate classes to the point where you even ES linted them out of your project, which, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to fist fight, but we're probably going to fist fight over this. But either way, so would this be a place you would consider a class? Or are you just going to do a closure was... object? If the async was the only problem, yes, but we have a few more interesting issues here, primarily around like boundaries between different state machines that have different differing sources of truth. So we have your audio and video device, which are synchronous by which you pick, and then asynchronous by if the tracks exist, with an additional set of state on top for audio levels, like resolution selected, stuff like that. 
that all has to communicate with an additional state machine from the server of what's permitted in this room. What are you allowed to do? Which of these settings can be selected or not selected? So there's like a second state machine that is interacting with that one. We can probably merge those two together, but it's going to be rough because we have to persist some things locally and persist some things server side. And then there's the third part, which is the actual WebRTC connection layer. And that is uh, a lot. And making all three of these parts interact tends to be the most painful point of this. Could we throw all of this together into one class? Maybe. But then the parts that we need to consume in isolation are no longer consumable in isolation. Like right now, you're an embed inside of my stream. I don't want anything to do with devices or audio or AV mm -hmm. management or even like the server expectations around those things here. So I need to be able to take that part and reuse it. And classes encourage you to throw everything in one place. And now you can't break those parts out anymore. And that's why we really go deep on the functional aspect. We try to yeah. make reusable parts because we get random requests and crazy ideas from our users all the time. We want to be able to explore it. And classes make that harder. Okay. Okay. I think you're using classes wrong, but I do. I do. I do understand this. Uh, I'm. I'm a very strict class user in the sense that I will never go beyond one deep. Uh, I think inheritance was a mistake, uh, but I do know one case where I think inheritance was the right call, which of course is event emitters, right? When you just want something that says like, "I will now emit events for you," and you can call a function. Uh, I think that that was the right abstraction, though I can't figure out a way around it to not be a class. That inherits. I don't know what else to do with that one. It's a little, a little painful for me on that. But uh, I made a custom hook. It's really nice. Hooks. Don't. No. Let's not. Let's not get started in garbage factories. Okay. I have. I. I emotionally hurt on the inside every single time V8 goes into garbage okay. collection. I just. I feel. Can I go on a non-technical uh, uh, defense rant on hooks? Quick. Yeah. Sure. Sure. For those that don't know, we're talking now about, I believe, Hook started in React 16, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. 17. Oh, uh, yeah. 16.9. 6, 10, I think. Eight, nine. Or, eight or nine. Definitely. Eight, nine? Okay, cool. Six, nine is in there for sure. Yeah. It was early 2018 they were announced, if I recall. I remember like I used hitting them. the Twitch yeah. code base super hard. So <laughs> Yes, it did hit a lot of code bases super hard. It was great. I was one of the big advocates at Twitch. I got us entirely moved over to Hooks pretty much in like a year. I got us updated on all the core packages like our GraphQL and stuff like that so we could consume Hooks. And I also shipped ModView as the first feature at Twitch that didn't use any classes in its, the entirety of its like development. It was a fully functional feature branch using Hooks exclusively for state. It was great. But yeah, the, as for the important part of Hooks outside of the tech, I could totally agree that some of the ergonomics and some of the like things they do can lead developers down bad pipes absolutely will take the L there. But the, the beauty of what Hooks enabled was a third-party community of developers to build awesome things into React. It was like use effect, for example, is the hook that exists inside of every other framework that they don't expose because they wrap that with 15 different things that you might want to use instead. So like, how do I put it? Yeah, like, like on mount, for example, is a thing that almost every framework exposes. When this thing mounts, you have a function you can run. Mm -hmm. In React, you build that yourself with use effect now, because if you have a use effect with an empty dependency array, that runs on mount. But what if the function you pass that changes, now there's a lit rule that tells you, hey, this thing needs to be here. And it encourages good behaviors in some ways, but it does that by giving you a very, very raw primitive. It's almost the first instance of go-to in state management, which is why it's so scary and why it's able to be used in such bad ways. But the power it introduces is community development of things that hook in there. 
I think React enabled this before with components, the idea of like the material UI component library coming out and giving you this thing you install and it has a button built in, a dropdown built in, all these things. Hooks give, gave that to us for state and life cycles where you can install React Query, which manages like server state and async functions locally and caches them and like persists them around your app. Things like Jodi and Zustand and obviously Redux, but other new uh, state management libraries as well, how they allow you to React doesn't solve a lot of problems. And I have so much respect for that team that when they have the option to solve this problem their way or abstract the piece to allow the community to solve it themselves, they always pick the latter. And mm -hmm. that's why I like React more than a lot of other solutions. They let the community do the things that they're not doing. Yep. So so here here so my my argument against hooks uh is a purely technical argument. Uh, and it has nothing to do with the word DX, right? I don't, I, I still not sure if DX is a real thing. Um, but here, I'll just throw this out there that, uh, every single time a hook is executed, right? It's, it's executed in code. So you use effect has a function that has to be thrown in plus some sort of array of arguments that show that it has or has not changed. Correct. That's a fairly primitive way of saying it. Yeah. And so one of my big problems with that is a it generates a closure B it generates a function C it generates an array. Right, every single render, and as these things get larger and larger and larger, you find yourself generating upon every render a thousand just throwaway objects every single time, which means you're spending 20, 30, 50, 100 milliseconds in garbage collection every single render. And it just becomes this progressive hole, which ultimately in the end, hooks and classes share a lot in common. They share a way for you to identify a piece of like code or value that you can call into. Now, you may not be using this dot foo to grab foo, but you're using use effect foo to get foo out, right? So they actually are representatively almost one-to-one -one translation of each other, but classes aren't as easily transferable. And I get that. So I'm not arguing or advocating for classes in this thing, but it does prevent a huge amount of garbage. And thinking through what you're producing, it doesn't really matter to you and me. I'm on a thread ripper with 64 threads. You're probably on some, my guess is a MacBook M1, drinking Phil's coffee, high-fiving with sweet and creamy or whatever it is. Uh, Ambrosia of the I gods, I believe. Too, but yes, I love my MacBook Air. So okay, much. so there you go. And so like your value and speed does not look anything like the world, right? Like nothing like the world. The world doesn't even use Mac products, right? It's like 80 plus percent Android. There's entire, you know, India's a oh, heavily phone used place. And so making these decisions, though very small for us, disproportionately affect a large people around the world. And so that was my big argument. This is why, why I keep my trusty S5 and I have a broken ass Moto X, Moto G actually from like 2003 here as well. Or That's good. Those are good. Very to important devices in my testing arsenal. I think this is very important and I totally agree. If yeah. I was shipping mobile clients, I probably wouldn't be using React for the like web interface right mm -hmm. now. I'd probably do as much server gen as I could and then pop into stuff, stuff like SolidJS when I can't. But yeah. I'm not building or recommending people build those things, in particular, very client-heavy stuff that needs to run on low-powered devices with React. And I think that React ships to users more often than it probably should. And we're starting to see that change with things like Remix blowing up, things yep. like Astro proving out SSR technologies, even Next.js becoming the recommended like go-to to init a new project by the React team themselves. I think that we're moving away from React on the client. But to go back to the point about like, hooks our classes and classes problems in a different coat. I honestly kind of agree, but I think the new coat is much rawer and more composable, yeah. which is a huge step forward. The like 
in classes in React, you had on component mount, on component mount, on props will change, on props did change. And if there was a case that Never those well didn't too. encompass, you were fucked. Yeah. The cool thing that's changed now is since they didn't put in four specific cases that you have to build into, that you have to build your component around as well, you could instead take part of that, which is if you had, like, if I had a component that on mount, I wanted to connect to a call and on, on mount, I wanted to disconnect to a call. I have to build a component around those needs into the component yeah. itself. Hooks let me abstract that into a single thing. Use Agora call. Under the hood, it's doing effectively the same thing. As you said, it's basically just classes unbundled. But instead of five things I have to hook into at the component level, I have one hook that is abstracted that owns and does all of that. And I know you said that DX isn't real. I think that's the core thing that leads to almost all of our disagreements here. I think DX is the only thing that's real other than UX. Everything else is made up. Okay. Okay. See, I think UX is the only thing that exists. DX is the fake thing that we complain about. UX is number one. <sighs> DX is number two. Tests aren't on the list. Damn. That's, I don't, we're just never going to find, I don't think we're going to find common ground here. But this was good, nonetheless. All right, Theo. So a lot of people, I, I don't know if everyone around here knows you. Can you, t like, how do we find you? Where do we find you at? Yeah, of course. Uh, the place that I am posting the most is definitely Twitter, at t3.gg, spelled out D-O-T-G-G. I post a lot. I mostly talk about front-end stuff and content creator media stuff. I'm really into the content creation world after working at Twitch and whatnot. Currently working really hard on my startup, Ping Labs. Ping.gg is the domain for that. It's the wonderful tool bringing me into this stream in HD and bringing Prime into mine in the same. Yep. We are used by a lot of awesome content creators and streamers really excited about the cool stuff we're building there. And yeah, if you ever want to talk crap about all things full stack, type safety, and web dev especially, let me know.